This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Good morning, everyone. Happy holiday weekend. Um, Like Pastor Trenton said, it is the U.S. Open. So if you don't have plans for the holiday weekend, you should absolutely watch the U.S. Open. Um, And some of you are like, I don't even know that was tennis. Now you know it is tennis. Um, But it's been on like every single day in the background. It's been on all day. I stayed up way too late watching it. Last night, thankfully, we did not stay up late. We turned it off. Because they're starting their matches at like 11 p.m. East Coast time. So it's, and they play for like three to five hours. So, but it's been really good. So I hope you're doing something fun this weekend. Thank you for being here today. I'm super honored and grateful to be with you um, and just speak what God has put on my heart. So we're gonna step right in to week six of our This Is Us series. And the question we've been asking this series is who are we as Relevant Life Church called to be? And our goal for this series has been to take the values that we desire to shape this community and put them out there for all of us to see. This has been so that we can pursue them, promote them, and protect them individually and as a community. So core value number one, we talked about serving. At RLC, we endeavor to meet the needs of others through giving of ourselves and our resources. This means actively serving this body, but also living a life of sacrifice everywhere, every day. And you guys totally made that happen by giving the money that you did for the fire uh, that happened next door that really was living out the This Is Us um, series. And I love that. And core value number two, Christ-centered. At RLC, we work to have an intimate relationship with Jesus, a relationship that affects and transforms the life that we live. This is our beliefs, our priorities, our relationships, our choices, and all those things. And then core value number three was the Holy Spirit. At RLC, uh, we wanted to know who he is, what he does in our lives, and how this community is committed to living in a life that seeks a deeper relationship with him. And that's so that he can work and empower us in our lives to be able to do more for him. And last week, Pastor Trenton brought an incredible message on core value number four, which he stated was the best core value of them all, and that was relevant. At RLC, we aim to effectively connect to our culture without compromising the word of God. And today, for the fifth core value of this series, we are going to be talking about relationships. At RLC, we endeavor to pursue and grow in authentic relationships with all generations, both inside and outside of the church. And the goal of this message is to reveal that we have identity in relationship, not just being friendly or surface level with people we encounter, but to be in deep community relationship with one another. And in a world of increasing online connectedness, the odds are definitely stacked against us. How can we find meaningful friendships? How can we bridge the gap between where we are and where God intends for us to be? But before we go there, I wanna give you a moment to process where you're at right now. And to do that, I want you to write some things down. So you should have uh, available to you a note card and pen. If you wanna type it out on your phone, you can do that. Or if you already have some sort of note system, you can feel free to take it on there. But I want you to write down a simple answer to each of these questions I'm about to ask. The first one's, what do you want? And the second one is, what are you grieving? Because I would say that a lot of life really exists around these two places in our hearts and our minds. It's what do you want and what are you grieving? What are you hoping for and what are you sad about? Okay, so I want you to jot down two sentences, one to answer each question. I want blank and I'm grieving blank. And there is not a right answer to these questions, but there is a real answer. And I want you to write that one down. So I'm just going to actually go ahead and give you guys like 60 seconds to do that. So go ahead and write down your answers.
Okay. We're going to move on for sake of that long minute made me feel very uncomfortable because it was so quiet. And, um, and I am thinking that maybe it made someone else feel uncomfortable, but maybe not. It's just me and I'm going to, you know, move on now. But if you didn't get to finish writing it down, that's totally okay. It's for you and your self-reflection right now in this moment. But what would you do if I asked you to tell your neighbor what you wrote down on that card? And for some of you, a pit literally just formed in your stomach. I actually got some wide eyes and some faces in that moment. But really, would, would you refuse? Would you be uncomfortable? Would you change your answers and say something else? Well, what if I asked you to share with the entire room? And I think this could go one of two ways in this moment. I think there was a, probably a small portion of you that would have no problem sharing. But for the majority of you, I'm guessing it would be awkward and uncomfortable to share your real answers to these two questions. And why is that? I'm sure that if we shared out loud our wants and our griefs, there would be so many in the room who could actually relate to what you wrote down. But we stop ourselves because we don't want to be in real and raw relationship. We don't want to be, um, have to say what our real answers are. But the truth is, together we are struggling and together we have desires. How many people in here feel like whenever you struggle, you're struggling alone? right? That, that no one could understand what you're going through, or you keep quiet because what you're going through couldn't be as bad as what someone else is going through, or your wants are selfish, and you don't want anyone to see how selfish you really are. And that's not okay. And we spend so much time with this voice in our head. We've got these desires and that we want, and then there's this other voice in our head that's judging what we want and judging what we're grieving, right? Anyone else have a busy mind like that? And there's this epidemic, actually, and it's fairly new. It's loneliness, and loneliness has really only been around for the last you know, few hundred years. There wasn't a lot of documentation about loneliness prior to that, and it's rampant now. Research shows that three in five Americans pre-COVID felt lonely. So post-COVID, what's that gotta be? Five and five? Four and a half and five? I mean, we definitely have a problem in that people are lonely, and yet how many people actually want to be alone? I mean, some of you are introverts. Okay, you don't get to raise your hand to that question because even you need someone to still be there for you because there's a difference between being introverted, which is a personality type, and being isolated. You still need someone to be there for you. So you may not want to use as many words as me, but you definitely need someone to be there for you. So how many people actually want to be lonely? None of us. And yet most of us are lonely and disconnected, and that is a problem. And we're all unanimously messed up and struggling. And those words you wrote down, we feel those things together. And yet the enemy is so good because he has tucked us away in our own little corners in the planet of the world all alone and made us feel like we are struggling alone. And in the dark with the devil, he can tell you whatever he wants. The lies are real. The lies are strategic. And so we're going to go back to the beginning because here's the deal. The greatest weapon God has given you to fight the dark besides this book and knowledge of him is other people. We need each other. And this is war. And we're treating community and connection like happy hour. So we've got to start by getting really serious about this. We've got, what I found is that I don't want to talk to you about friendships because that's cheesy. Like, I don't want flowers and friendships and butterflies. I don't think that's what this is supposed to be about. Because this epidemic is requiring more than, let's find our two or three best friends and, and ride off into the sunset together. No, we're at war, and we need fighting buddies. We need people holding our arms up. When I'm tempted to just spin in the worry and sadness about how heavy this world is and having to lead in it, what do I do? I ask people to pray. I bring people in. Why? Because we cannot do the things God has asked us to do on this earth alone. And so the title of my message today is R.I.P. to Loneliness. 
And so like I said, we're going to go back to the beginning, and we are going to look at Genesis 1 and 2. What did God do? Some of you are going to be very familiar with it. God creates a human, and he sets them on the planet, and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. You see, God was creating out of something, right? Eternity is forever. It's always been, and God has always been, and he has existed in community within himself. The three members of the Trinity call, are in relationship, and Timothy Keller calls this the great dance. And when God created, he created out of community, out of community within himself. He created out of love. He created out of sharing this awesome eternal relationship with us. And so he creates and he sets the man down and he looks at the Trinity, the three of them, and he says, we created man in our image. And he uses the plural tense throughout Genesis 1. And it's real interesting because God doesn't often do that. And let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. It's very intentional that God is speaking from the Trinitarian God, that there are three and there are one. And I know that the Trinity can be very complicated, but God is three and God is one. And the three and one God created out of relationship. So we have identity in relationship. He created a man. He looks at the man and he says, it is not good for him to be alone. So he created Eve. And together, they created a family, and that family grew into a people group, and that people group divided into many nations. Okay, so that's the story of the people here on earth. And so our Trinitarian God, he creates a man, he creates a family, he creates a community of people, and then he writes the Bible, this book right here, throughout history using many people. And the whole book is about people. The whole book. People groups, families, people that screw up, people that hurt other people, wars, it's a lot of people. The whole thing is written to people. You, almost every single time in the Hebrew and Greek, it is a plural form of you. So the book is written to people, not an individual, not a person, but people. And then we have an enemy because the people of God coming together in a powerful way defeats the darkness. Wherever two or more people are gathered, I will be with you. The people of God will, in the end, defeat the enemy. That's where this will end. We're a powerful group of people, especially together in deep relationship with one another. The spirit of God is in this room. The word of God is going forward and the saints are gathered and that's dangerous to hell. So what does the enemy wanna do? He wants to break God's people. He wants you to be hurt, so hurt and so wounded because let's think about it. What are the best parts of life and what are the worst parts of life? Both probably involve people. The best parts of your life involve people and the worst parts of your life involve people. Isn't that so true? And so of course this is not easy. Of course this is not simple. This is war. And the more the enemy can get you alone in the dark, the more power that he has. So what do we wanna do? We wanna fight back. And we don't treat this like happy hour or like we need a few friends to come over for dinner. We treat this like it's war. So if God is relationship and he created us for relationship and the enemy hates this so badly, what does it look like for us to fight? See, we aren't meant to just taste little glimpses of community like a great meal. I'm sure on a Sunday morning or at an all-church event, you connect with really great people and you have incredible conversations, maybe even real ones where, where you open up and you don't say, I'm good when someone asks how you are. But the problem is relationship isn't meant to only be done at church on a Sunday. It's meant to be in your day-to-day -day life. And if you look back throughout history, which we literally just did, we looked throughout biblical history, the history of mankind, what you will see is that life has been done in these village-like communities. In fact, most of the earth today still lives in village-like communities. And together what they do is they make fires. And I mean, who doesn't love a good fire, right? Like if you know my husband, you know that he is all about the vibes. And we have multiple propane fire pits outside. And at night, some of my favorite moments have been around the fire 
people coming together um, and just singing in the backyard or, or students staying late after an event and just doing life together, praying and singing and, and laughing together and crying together and just talking about real things, being with people. There's something about a fire and throughout history in most villages, they cook by a fire, they converse by a fire, they come together by a fire and at night they would tell stories by a fire. This is how almost every generation on earth has lived. They didn't have doors with locks on them. And if you go to Rwanda or Uganda right now, you'd see that most people have huts with no doors and that they have a big fire pit in the middle and they all come out and they come in and they share what they have and they walk down to get water. And a lot of their day is spent taking care of, yes, uh, things that involve survival, but require community. And it's a beautiful way to live. I mean, let's look at the early church in Acts, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their house, homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were all together. They had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to those in need. And I don't know about you, but I'm not off selling my assets in order to help someone in need. The early church lived and functioned out of their relational identity, and we should be doing the exact same. Has anyone in here ever heard of the Loneliness Project? Raise your hand if you have. No? Okay. Um, the Loneliness Project is a place where people of all ages and from all over share their stories or experiences with loneliness. And what it does is it shows how universal and human it is to be lonely. So I'm just going to read uh, a few examples that I found um, through this project uh, of people that have shared. So Andrew, age 24, I spent two hours alone wandering around Ikea because I was too nervous to ask people to come with me. I ate two hot dogs and bought nothing. Scout, age 60, Christmas guts me every year. I already accept there will not be even a phone call for me. Jacob, age 30. I've been lonely for years, but I never realized it until college when I lost my small group of close friends and couldn't make more. By that point, I was even too afraid to talk to the friends I already had because of my anxiety. Eventually, I met my wife, we had kids, and I got through school and got a job. I always thought that would fix my loneliness, but it never did. While I'm surrounded by people, I'm isolated. My wife spends all her time on social media, hardly ever giving me her undivided attention. Work is just endless, meaningless small talk. The kids are too young to have any meaningful adult connection. I thought I wasn't lonely for a long time, but recently I realized I'm more lonely than ever. Anonymous, age 15, I was the only kid that had no parent to kiss or hug them goodbye because my mom was a single parent and couldn't afford to be late for work. And the last one, Wendy, age 47, I made a meal for the family, we ate together, then everyone got up and I was left sitting at the table alone and to clean up. There is an epidemic. And there is a foundational reason that as a generation, we feel so isolated. You see, we have several things not on our side. For starters, we grew up in a very independent society, right? Like we've grown up literally founding our country with the Declaration of Independence. Like we are independent Americans and this is how we've been raised. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If there is no way, make a way. Be what you wanna be. You don't need anyone, you just do you. This is how we were taught to live. It's how we think. And it's very difficult to lift you out of that mindset and for you to imagine that there could even be a different way to live. And so what we've got to start with is that we have to start with having to fight this. 
We have to want this bad enough that we're willing to sacrifice for it. Because the way that many of you do community, the way that you think about it is, you know, a girl's night out or a men's hunting trip once a year, or it's coming together at the church through a big event. And that is not community. It's a byproduct of it, but it's not actual relationship. But we can fight this. There is a way to fight this, to fight for real and meaningful relationships. And so today I want to give you three things that we have to do. Number one, we have to need people. Studies have shown that human interaction is essential to brain development. Socializing and being with others helps to release vital chemicals in our, in our bodies that aid physical, emotional, and intellectual health and well-being. It's all about our need for belonging. But belonging is more than what you might have thought it is because belonging is, of course, that feeling of connectedness to a group or community. It's the sense that you're a part of something. You feel attached, close, and thoroughly accepted by your people. But belonging is more than just being a part of a group because belonging is a fundamental part of being human. We need people, and this need is hardwired in our brains. And a recent MIT study found that we crave interactions in the same region of our brains that we crave food. And another study showed that we experience social exclusion in the same region of our brain where we experience physical pain. A study at the University of Michigan found when people lack a sense of belonging, it is a strong predictor of depression. And the human desire for connection also drives our behavior. Smartphone design and addiction are a case in point. Because a study, a study published in Frontiers in Psychology found smartphones are compelling because they tap into fundamental needs to connect. According to the research, humans have a deep desire to monitor others and to be monitored by them, to be seen and heard and considered by others. It is this alignment with our social needs which makes smartphones especially hard to put down. People have a clear need to identify with a group and be accepted as a vital member of a community. We need people and we have to be willing to meet that or to admit that need. And it's so uncomfortable to need people. It isn't easy. And I don't personally like it. In fact, I've had several arguments with my husband where he reveals to me the same statement and it haunts me and it's this, you don't need me. And I'm like, well, I want to need you. I'm working on it. I don't know how to need you. It's just, it's not easy to need each other. And here's the thing, it's vulnerable. In fact, if you were to take those answers to the two questions I asked and share them with someone today, that is the first step of needing each other. It's actually saying what is wrong. And so to work on this, I'm trying to be more open with my husband and actually communicate what it is that I need from him, what it is that I'm thinking or what's bothering me without him having to ask me because I'm giving him attitude about something. Now, for some of you, you're professionals and you share your problems way too easily and talking about your needs comes naturally. That's great for you. I do not. And growing up, I felt the need to lead out of this perceived idea of strength and what I thought it was. I need to have the answer. I need to help people. I knew to achieve on my own and at the highest level so that I'd be worthy and validated by the parents who chose not to want me. And if I showed it all that I needed them, then I would just acknowledge and validate the rejection of me. So needing people isn't comfortable for me at all. But Jesus didn't call me to comfort. So we have to be willing to sacrifice our comfort to engage in community. And we have to be willing to need each other. Number two, we have to initiate. Quit waiting for people to initiate with you because they are not going to do it. Right? I hate to say that, but we are all staring at our phones most of the time. We're not making plans. We're not imagining our next fireside chat. We're not inviting people in. We are waiting to be invited, and we have to be someone who invites. 
Jesus was the master at this. He would walk into town and he was like, come to dinner. Guy in the tree, let's go. Come on, we're gonna go to dinner. And what makes that story even better is that Zacchaeus needed Jesus. Jesus didn't need Zacchaeus and yet Jesus initiated Guy in the tree, come on, let's go to your house for dinner. I'm gonna impose my posse on you and we're all going to go to your house for dinner tonight. Do you understand how beautiful it is when someone just says, hey, let's go do this. Let's go to your house, come with me. So often when I'm mentoring or pastoring someone that's struggling with loneliness, the topic of initiation comes up. And I always have to ask, when was the last time you initiated with someone? And their answer is always that they haven't. Not a single person I've met with that struggles with loneliness has actually put in the effort to be in a relationship. And their reason, their response, well, no one has asked me to do anything. And no one will. I love living life with people. And I love being with people. But do you know that 98% of the time, I am the one initiating? I don't want to be lonely. I refuse to live life alone. And I don't want other people to feel that way either. And if I sit around and wait for someone else to initiate with me, then I will literally sit by myself and continue to wait. So I've done something about it. I'm constantly looking for ways to gather people together at my home or someone else's home or out in the city. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have boundaries and you need to respect your spouse and you need a night off and all those good things. But that's a different conversation. And you can talk about boundaries when it actually matters for where you're at in life. I also understand that you might be like, well, I don't have a home that can host a ton of people. Well, I never said anything about hosting a ton of people. You do what you can with your resources. Relationships take time, but you can take steps to spark a friendship and nurture a connection. So here's what it looks like to initiate. First, you take the initiative. You don't need to wait for anyone to reach out to you and take the first step. Instead, become the initiator, even if you're the introvert. Say yes. When you're invited to a gathering or event, accept the invitation. Return the favor by inviting them somewhere. Extend your own invitations and ask a friend or acquaintance to get coffee or lunch. Start the conversation. When you're with someone you'd like to know better, start a conversation. Share something about yourself. Likewise, let them share about themselves. Show interest. Even if you're just meeting someone, you can make them feel comfortable by asking the right questions and being a good listener. Ask open-ended questions. Encourage them to open up by saying things like, tell me more. Smile. Make good eye contact and smile. They'll feel more comfortable and interested in the conversation and smiling while keeping good eye contact will create a positive effect on the other person. Share. As you get to know each other, try sharing small but more personal things about yourself. If you're open with them, it gives them permission to be open with you. Do a small favor. Small acts of kindness often lead to intimacy and connection. It doesn't have to be big or obvious. Just a little gesture creates a feeling of good vibes. Keep it going. When you meet someone, exchange numbers. Call or message them later. Ask if they'd like to get together again. Staying in, crucial, staying in touch is crucial. And lastly, don't expect results right away. It takes time to establish a strong bond between two people. You extending an invitation one time and getting shut down and then never doing it again, that's on you, boo, right? Like, come on, we can put in a little more effort there. Do your best, but keep your expectations realistic. Research suggests that it may take up to 10 to 15 conversations before you feel like friends. So number one, we have to need people. Number two, we have to initiate. And number three, we have to fight to keep this. 
Let me tell you, if the enemy hates this, and if this is one of the most powerful weapons that we have to fight the dark, then we have to not give up so easily. I want you to think about the people in your life, and especially the people that have hurt you or that you have hurt and how easy it is to walk away. When I look back at the history of the world, people couldn't walk away. Like they literally lived with the same people their whole lives, they couldn't leave. So if they got in a fight, I'm sure it'd be awkward, 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 but eventually they'd work it out because they couldn't go anywhere unless they wanted to take their whole family and their friends and set up a whole new tent city somewhere. And that was a lot of work, so they would stay. Well, we have the luxury of moving on and moving on and moving on and moving on and never putting down roots and taking the better job in the cooler city and leaving behind the people that know us and leaving the church that says something that offended us. And you know, it was interesting. There's so much about community in the Bible, but there never was much about staying. And why is that? Because people just stayed. And if they left, they left with a whole people group somewhere and they took their families and they stuck together. It's how people have lived throughout history and we're one of the first generations that thinks it's okay to just abandon a great deep community for a better job or a bigger city or a fancier church. And we walk away too quickly. Now what I did find in scripture that was really clear was a lot of one another's of how we would do this together. And I'm going to read them really quick, but really what they read as is a very long list of very difficult conversations. Colossians 3.16, admonish one another. Mark 9.50, be at peace with one another. Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 5.21, be subject to one another. John 13.34, love one another. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. And we throw these phrases out like, oh, do these things and you'll have great friends. Y'all, these are horrible things to do together. The list, I rewrote it. Let me tell you what I hear. Look at your friend and tell them what they're doing wrong. That's so fun. <laughs> Love so completely that you're willing to be rejected by someone, get rejected, and then keep loving them. When someone ransacks you, and I mean literally destroys your heart, let it go. When you mess up and you feel so ashamed and you want to hide, instead call a friend, go to coffee, say it out loud, and then risk that they could use it against you. When someone is selfish and horrible to you, give them preferential treatment. When your person is crying on the bathroom floor, get on the floor and cry with them. When you feel misunderstood, you don't run. And see, this is not as sanitary and easy. And so of course we give up and of course we walk away because this is a mess. And a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've lived in this mess. You've been burned and wounded by that mess. And I'm saying, don't give up. Now there are times, and this is a whole different talk, that you can draw boundaries because something has gone too far and I need to set a healthy boundary there. But you know what? We've gotten so good at boundaries that we've forgotten perseverance. Yeah, that's we've gotten so good um, at boundaries that we've forgotten what it really means to really forgive someone when it feels impossible to do so. And we've got forgotten that all the relationships that we're talking about in this context has to do with the blood of Jesus Christ that died for our sins even though we spit in his face. Yes. That is what we're ultimately talking about. It's that we can love each other. We can fight for each other. We can stay because of what Jesus did for us. But we've replaced really deep, messy, difficult relationships with years of shallow supper clubs and shallow conversations and shallow connections and our souls are dying. And here's where you see it. Dr. Kurt Thompson says this, we all come into the world looking for someone looking for us. 
He goes on further to say, and ultimately what we want from everybody is that we wanna be seen and we wanna be soothed in our hurt and we wanna feel safe. We wanna be seen, soothed, and feel safe. We all act out of not having this in different ways, but all humans crave this. And as women, we're probably a little quicker to recognize that we crave it than men, but we, I'm telling you, we all need it. And for the rest of your life, you do this for people, people will walk away from you and they will feel loved. See, knowledge is not our problem. I'm sure a lot of you came into this and you know a lot. You know a lot about God. You know a lot about the Bible. So knowledge is not our problem. We don't need to know more. We need someone to slap us in the face and tell us we need to live this out. I think that we are so easily protective of ourselves. We build our fences and our walls and our boundaries and we don't let people in or we only let them in this much and we control the situation. These vulnerable places in our lives are the places that we need each other. A pastor in the underground church in Iran says this, true discipleship isn't something that you do once a week. It's what you do every day because that's when you get to know people. It's when you're with them through the good and the bad times, when they're sick and when they're healthy, that's what brings together a true family. The blood of Christ makes us a family, but we have to experience it together in the everyday. Daily, the shadows, the darkness, the lies, they're coming for us. And what are we doing? We're just kind of making small talk on a Sunday morning. We're just kind of talking about what's going on in our lives. Or we're double tapping on someone's Instagram post or swiping up on their stories to give a reaction. And we're not truly investing in a place and in a people and saying, hey, you're my person, you're my people. I need you to show up. I need you to show up if something bad happens and I need you to show up tomorrow and the next day and for the good things too, I need you. And let me tell you why I started with those questions because honestly, that's the fight, right? It's what we want and what we are grieving. It's the heaviness that we feel on any given Tuesday. It's the hard that we're living in. That is it. Like you wanna know where to start? That's where you start. That's coming through the front door. That's the fireside chat. It's living life together. It's living known and not saying the easy answer, but saying the hard one and fighting for each other and not abandoning people and you fight for them and they fight for you. And some of you are going, I would love that. What you are saying, that's it. I want it, sign me up. And here's where I have to say it. You're it. You've got to go be it first. You've got to go create it first. And we can do that because we have the dearest friend, the best friend I've ever had, the only one who has never stabbed me in the back, the only one who has never hurt me. And because of what Jesus has done for us, we actually get to go and give away this love. And so here's what I want us to do as I close I want us to close our eyes. And I want you to reimagine community in your life. I want you to imagine a few things and we're gonna pray and we're gonna ask God, show us how you want this to be. Show us how you want us to live and what we are missing. So with every eye closed, God, what is the point? What is the purpose? And what do you want us to see about the plan that you have for our lives? Who do you want beside me on this mission, on this purpose? And we pray for specific names right now. And then God, who have I not forgiven? 
Where is there still a part of me that I'm spinning and wasting energy, holding a grudge and being bitter? God, I just pray for every heart and mind right now, God. I pray that you would help us need people and admit our need for people, God. I pray that you would help us initiate. God, I pray that you would have given specific names to the people in this room and online, God, that they would then go initiate today, God. They wouldn't wait, they wouldn't get scared, they wouldn't let the enemy talk them out of it, God, but that they would initiate today, that they would take one step forward and not a step back or just stay in the same place. And God, I pray that you would help us fight to have this. I pray that we would see the seriousness of loneliness, God, and that it's not what you called us to, it's not what you created us for. And I pray that this community would be transformed by deep relationship with one another. God, I pray over the desires and the griefs of your people today, God. I lift them to you. You know every single one. You know if the answers that we thought of were real or if they were, they were the surface level answer, God. And so I just pray that your spirit would be so evident in the heart of every single person in this room, God, and would just meet them right where they're at and would bring comfort. And God, I thank you for being able to speak your word freely today, being able to worship you freely today, God. And I just pray your blessing over all your people. And everyone said, amen. Well, I just wanna say thank you again for being here today. The prayer team is gonna come forward. And if you have a need, or if you wanna share those things you wrote down, they're great people and safe people to share with. And so we will see you in the weeks to come. And I hope you have a wonderful holiday weekend. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.